The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith in the Sunday morning service at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. Turn with me to Luke, uh, Luke chapter 6. We're looking at eight verses today in this story, and uh, this is one small part of it in Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 19. Listen to what Luke writes. It was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also named as apostles, Simon, whom he also named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was also called the Zealot, Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place, and there was a large crowd of disciples and a great throng of people who were not his disciples from all Judea and Jerusalem and the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled or afflicted with unclean spirits were being cured. And all the people were trying to touch him, for power was coming forth from him and healing them all. What I'm going to try to convince you of uh, this morning from this section of Christ's life is two things. One is that uh, we are a people who've been sent by Jesus Christ. Everything that we do in life is as ambassadors of Christ. And secondly, that we have free access and freedom of speech before the throne of grace where Jesus sits in power and ruling over the kingdom of God. Um, at the very beginning of this section in verse 12, it's probably the most appropriate thing that could be given to us here. Jesus goes up on the mountain and prays, and he prays all night long to God. I don't know if you've ever tried that. Uh, my son took a class in seminary some years back, and Dr. Roscup and he... Uh, <laughs> The course was about praying for one hour. Remember Jesus asked in the garden, he told his disciples, could you not pray for one hour? And so that was kind of the title of the class. And he was, I remember him telling me what an impact this had on him. Because if you've ever tried this, when you pray, when you get alone to pray, and you're actually thinking you're going to pray for a certain period of time, and you check yourself and discover you thought you'd been praying for about 45 minutes, and you prayed for about 36 seconds. But Jesus, the eternal Son of God, is pictured here as going before the Father alone and praying to him all night long. This is really a, an expression of what we're trying to see here, the grace and glory of Jesus manifested. It powerfully reveals the grace and glory of Jesus Christ. He was, uh, uh, he was addressing the Father about his mission. Jesus is the sent one. That's one of his titles, the sent one, the one that the Father sent into the world to rescue us from our sins. And so he's going before the Father. And this is also a great illustration of 1 Timothy 2.5, which says, For there is one God 
and one mediator between God and men, a man, Christ Jesus. One mediator, the eternal son of God who became a man, who took on a real humanity like ours, is our mediator. And so when we come before the Father in prayer, we're coming before one who knows exactly what we are experiencing and understands everything that we go through in life. And yet it's to him, through him, that we arrive at the Father. We bring our needs before him. We have a praying Savior. Now what I want us to notice, in, first of all, in verses 13 through 16, we have the choosing of the 12. Um, and what I want to do is emphasize the fact that we are a sent people. Today, over the last few decades, there's been a movement within the church and conservative Christianity called the missional movement. And it's just emphasizing the fact that we are a people on mission. In other words, we've been sent. Now, you may, may wonder, well, where have I been sent? I've been waiting for God to send me somewhere for a long time. Well, where are you? That's where he sent you. You working in Oakland? That's where he sent you. And you know those people that you see every day and you interact with? Those are the people he sent you to. We need to, be, we need to understand that we are a sent people. And here, at this, in this occasion, Jesus is going to appoint 12 apostles, 12 sent ones, that are going to lead the charge of the church. And they go in every direction. Um, most of us are familiar with another apostle, that is the apostle Paul, who went west, and we read his stories in the book of Acts, and we read his letters in the epistles of Paul, and we hear what, how God led him, how the Spirit led him and empowered him and used him to bring the gospel westward and we are far much further west than he went, but the gospel finally came to us. And he understood he was on a mission. In fact, he took it very, very seriously. And so did these other apostles. Now, there were many disciples here. In fact, down in verse 17, it says there was a great multitude of disciples. It's almost like the words used of a great, great crowd, an army. There were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, probably thousands of disciples of Jesus Christ who came here to see him. And there were other people from, it says, Judea and Jerusalem, which is down in the central part, the lower southern central part of Israel. They had come up, and then some people from Tyre and Sidon, which was up north over on the coast, they had come down because there were all these rumors about this Jesus. So it says they came, they wanted to be healed because they heard these stories about him healing people. Now, many of them probably thought it was some kind of magic, but they wanted it. But what happened was that they got exposed to the king of glory. Their eyes were opened in a very wonderful way to who he was. So there's many disciples here. And a disciple is a learner, a follower, an apprentice. Someone who follows Christ, and because we follow him, we become more like him. You know, in most unions, they have an apprenticeship program, and a young person who gets involved in that trade, they have to go through certain steps, and they get hooked up with people who know what they're doing, and they follow them and learn how to do what they're doing. And these are disciples. These are apprentices. These are ones who have connected themselves with Jesus Christ. Actually, God connected them the work of the Spirit, but their ears and eyes were open, and they saw who he was, and they believed upon him, and they began to follow him. So there's many of them there. 
So when Jesus is in the midst of them, he chooses 12 men to be apostles. Now, the word apostle means a, someone sent from the one sending for a specific purpose. They're Jesus' special messengers. And there, he says he appointed 12 of them, and he names them for us. Now, if you've ever read, in fact, uh, John MacArthur has a book on the 12 apostles in which he gives you kind of a biography of every, every one of these apostles, and you discover, you know, these, these guys didn't have the best qualifications in the world. In fact, kind of the leader of the band, Peter, remember, he failed so miserably, he denied Christ three times, and then he decided to go back becoming a fisherman on the lake, on the Sea of Galilee. But Jesus restored him. And so he chooses the 12. Now, these apostles are sent out to fulfill a mission, a particular task or role. These 12 are always referred to as the 12. And there is some correspondence between the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles. It's not that the church has replaced Israel, but the church reflects God's continuing plan and purpose. And so he chooses 12 of them. And so they're, they're the apostles that typically are referred to as the capital A apostles. You know, they were chosen specifically out of all the disciples. But what we find out is there are other men in the New Testament. In fact, there's one woman that some think is called an apostle. And they were apostles too, but they weren't, they were, they were typically referred to as apostles with a small a. In other words, yeah, they're sent people, but they're not a part of this 12-man leadership group. And as you know, one of those men miserably failed. Well, two of them failed. One failed. Peter failed by denying Christ three times. But there was another who failed by selling him out and became a traitor. So how many apostles are there? Well, there are, those, there are these 12. And in Acts chapter 1, it says that, that uh, Judas was replaced by Matthias, took the place of Judas Iscariot. So we have this 12. But then as you read on in the New Testament, the book of Acts, for example, in Acts 14, it, it names Paul and Barnabas as apostles. It describes them as being apostles. They have been sent on a mission. And uh, this, in fact, you can see different places where different people are called apostles. In Romans 16, Paul seems to refer to Andronicus and Junius, which we assume was a husband and wife, as being outstanding among the apostles. Now, that could mean they were simply highly regarded among the apostles, not that they themselves were apostles. We don't know for sure. But Paul says that the apostles were, had certain marks about them. They had seen the risen Christ. They were eyewitnesses. If you remember the sermon that, that Peter preached at uh, Cornelius' house, Cornelius had a bunch of people there. He himself was, a, uh, was being drawn to Christ, and, Christ, and uh, Peter came and preached to this household, which was a large group. It was a big house. It may have been about the size of this this room we're in now. And so Peter preaches to them. And he says to them, you've heard about Jesus of Nazareth. You've heard about what he did and how he healed the sick and raised the dead and how he was crucified. And he was raised from the dead and we saw him. God chose eyewitnesses to see the risen Christ. And Peter says, he didn't appear to everybody, but to those who were chosen to be eyewitnesses 
of the resurrected Christ. And this is one of the qualifications of, a, of an apostle. They have seen Christ raised. They have seen the resurrected Christ. And Paul himself called himself a, a, an apostle born out of due season because he was an enemy of Christ. If you remember, this is how he met Christ. He met Christ because he was going to arrest Christians, followers of Christ. Jesus has already been crucified and raised from the dead, but Paul didn't believe those reports. And so he's trying to stamp out Christianity, and he's a man of some influence, and so he's on his way to Damascus to arrest some Christians because he wants to squelch and squash Christianity. But he meets Christ on the road to Damascus. He sees the risen Christ. In fact, it blinds him, remember? And it took him a while to recover from that experience. And Jesus sends him into the world as an apostle. He is sent by Christ to go and take the gospel to the Gentiles. But there are other disciples as well. For example, James, the brother of Jesus, who wasn't a follower of Jesus during his earthly life, is referred to as an apostle. And also, there are others like this. Paul implies that he considers Timothy and Silas apostles. Remember when he went to, they went with him to Thessalonica, he preached the gospel there. And when he writes back to them, he refers to, to the three of them as apostles. So, and the, the point is this. Yes, there are 12 apostles, and they're the capital A apostles. They were assigned this role by Jesus Christ to be eyewitnesses, to take the gospel out, to move out. And they went in every direction. But there's something else here that we need to understand is this is, we're not apostles. You're not an apostle and I'm not an apostle. But we are a part of an apostolic movement. That is a movement that's been sent out into the world with the message of the gospel. Wherever you're at, you've been sent there by Jesus Christ. You say, well, this isn't where I want to be. But you do need to recognize you've been sent there by Jesus Christ and that you are his ambassador. We are called ambassadors because we've received the message of reconciliation. Everybody who's received this message of reconciliation is an ambassador of Jesus Christ. That is every true believer. Now there are, there is such a thing as nominal Christians, that is people who make a profession of faith but never follow Christ, never experienced regeneration, the new birth, and so forth. Remember Jesus when he talked to uh, Nicodemus? And Nicodemus was the, t- the teacher of Israel. That's what Jesus calls him. You're the teacher of Israel, and you don't know these things? And he told Nicodemus, he said, because Nicodemus was passing some, he was giving Jesus some, telling him that he could recommend him because he could see that he was from God. And Nicodemus thought that Jesus would be quite impressed with that. But Jesus says to him, you can't see the kingdom of God and you cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you've been born again. And you remember Nicodemus, you could tell he didn't, the way he thought, he says to Jesus, how can a man enter his mother's womb again and be born once he is an adult? He totally missed the point that the new birth, to be born again is to be born from above, to be born of the spirit, to experience the new birth. And faith in Jesus Christ is is an evidence of that new birth. 
So there are people who call themselves Christians and feel no compulsion whatsoever to to fulfill this calling of being an ambassador of Christ. But if you're a believer in Christ, if you've been born again, you have an assignment. You're on mission for Jesus Christ. Just like the original apostles went out with this message of the the death, burial, resurrection of Christ, the good news of the kingdom of God, the good news of of, of Jesus Christ, the good news of God. We have been given this message. If you don't give away what God's given you, you're either going to blow up or you're going to, you're going to be in bad shape. It's just like a balloon. If you start blowing air into a balloon and you just keep on blowing the air in it and you never let any air out, you know what's going to happen, right? There are two, there are two uh, lakes in, in uh, Israel. When you look on a map in the back of your Bible, you see these two, the Sea of Galilee. There's large lakes, the Sea of Galilee and the, the Dead Sea. What's the difference between them? Well, if you look at them and the way that, that things developed around them during these biblical times, the Sea of Galilee was a flourishing lake. There was all kinds of fish and there was villages all around it. It was a place that people went to and enjoyed But the Dead Sea is totally desolate. There's no development around it. There's no fish in it, no living fish. And you know the difference between those two, right? That the Sea of Galilee had water coming into it all the time and water flowing out of it all the time. But the Dead Sea had water flowing into it, but none went out. It's a great picture of the spiritual life. As God pours his life into you, you have to be willing to pour it out into other people's lives. Or you're either going to be like the balloon and just blow up, or you're going to, you're going to just be a mess. I love the way that Paul describes this principle in 2 Corinthians 8. There he's talking about giving for the needs of the saints back in, uh, uh, in Jerusalem. They were going through a very difficult time, so he was taking an offering. And he, and he begins to talk about why we should give ourselves and our means for the advance of the gospel. And he uses the Macedonians as an example. Now, the Macedonians were a people who were very poor. They had gone through some really difficult times, and they were very poor. They had little resource. But Paul says their poverty... And their joy in God mixed together, and it overflowed in their liberality in giving. John Piper, I still remember, I read this 15, 20 years ago, but I still remember what he said. He said, overflowing joy of God that gladly meets the needs of others. Now, I'm not going to talk to you about money. I'm talking to you about the other things that God gives you that have much greater wealth. You can't put, you can't put any designation on it. He's given you life. He's given you truth. You've been taught truth. And he wants you to give it away. He wants you to be continually giving it away. One of my favorite uh, sayings of Jesus is in John 7, 37, when he says, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Because everyone who's believing in me, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. That's kind of weird because he says, are you thirsty? He's talking obviously about about spiritual thirst. If you're thirsty, come to me and drink. But then he doesn't doesn't say, so you'll be really uh, satisfied. 
You can just saturate yourself with truth. You can learn more and more stuff. You can buy more and more books, and you can get bigger and bigger files. But what he says is, if you are believing in me, out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. You know what that is, right? Rivers of living water is the outward flow of the life that God has put in you. You're always meeting people who've never been loved like you've been loved. You know that? All the time you're meeting people who've never been loved the way you've been loved as a believer. Because the very motivation behind God saving you was his love for you and his love for his son. And so you've been loved, and this is why Paul says that God is continually recommending his love for you in that while you were still sinners, Christ died for you. And now you're meeting people all the time. And you have something to give them. One of the things we're supposed to be doing is loving people, right? Within the church, we're supposed to love each other the way Christ loved us. And those that, people that God brings into our life, we're supposed to be pouring out our life into them, loving them. And there's no end of this supply. There's no end to this supply. God's love for you is never ending. There's not a short supply. I'm sure there's some things in your life you're really trying to watch and be careful and, you know, save, save your money, put this stuff aside and all that. But let me tell you, there's no shortage on the love of God. It's, and there's never going to be a shortage. There's never going to be a recession, a spiritual recession in which you say, wow, I wish I hadn't squandered all of God's love on other people. No, go ahead and just give it away. Love them. Pour out the love of Christ into people's lives. And there's always more that he's going to pour into you. Don't be like the Dead Sea. Be like the Sea of Galilee. Now, I'll tell you where this really comes into play. It's those people that you find hard to love. You know, there's certain people that you just have such a hard time loving. Those are the ones that God wants you to pour out the love of Christ into their lives. And so that you can begin to experience what he wants to do in you. He wants to expand your heart. He wants to be filling you up so that you can be pouring out. And that's why we're a missional people. We've been given so much. We've been given the message, first of all, this glorious message of, of the gospel. We have this secret. I mean, it's a secret to some people. It's not supposed to be a secret. But the secret is this, that God, because of his love for you, sent his son into the world to die in your place, to give his life a ransom for us so that we might come to have not only forgiveness, but life indeed. And he made us a part of a family, a spiritual family. We now have a heavenly father. Jesus instructed his disciples, when you pray, this is what I want you to do. I want you to pray, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. In other words, he's your father. That's who you worship. And so he's blessed you richly, and you have God, the triune God living in you in a real sense. That's what the Bible says. The Father, Son, and Spirit are living in you. In fact, you're told how to treat each one of them. You're supposed to rest in Christ. 
You're supposed to spend your time in the presence of the Father, and you're supposed to walk in the Spirit. In other words, you're supposed to develop this relationship with the triune God because he's living in you. He's the major part of your life. There's really nothing in your life that's as important, believer, as is, is as important as your relationship with the triune God. And he's the treasure that you have. Remember Paul said that he preached, uh, uh, he's the one who God gave the assignment to reveal this mystery. And the mystery he's talking about there in Colossians is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What that means is because Christ is in you, you can have earnest expectation that God's actually going to transform you into the image of Christ. You're going to be like Jesus. And he's, he's in the process of changing you now molding you and and making you. And Jesus had no problem giving himself away. In fact, it's one of the stunning things about him, isn't it? That every time you see him interacting with somebody, he's wanting to give to them. The rich young ruler, the poor guy didn't realize that what Jesus was offering him was the greatest treasure in all of life. It'd be like somebody saying to you, well, why don't you give me that old junker you got, and I'll give you my new Mercedes. So you have something to drive, and they say, oh, no, you're not going to trick me. That's how the rich young ruler was. Jesus says to him, he wanted eternal life. And Jesus asks him, and he tells him he's been keeping the commandments since he was a child. And so Jesus said, you lack one thing. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And he had much wealth, the text tells us. But Jesus is offering him something that is priceless. He's offering him a life in fellowship with him. Go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and come and follow me. Come and follow me. Walk with me. Imagine that. He, could have, he, would, have been, he would have been at Jesus' side as one of his disciples, blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. And yet, he couldn't give up what he was holding on to, and that was exactly what Jesus was pointing out to him. You have an idol in your heart, and you'll never have eternal life as long as that idol resides there. You have to get rid of that idol in order to receive eternal life. Well, the apostles and the disciples, they had come to see that what Jesus offered them was greater than what they would ever have to give up. And so they received life. Now, what, I say all that to say you have something to give away. You really do have something to give away. It's Christ and everything that's wrapped up in what you have received from Christ, his word and his gospel. Now, there's a progression to this idea of us being on mission. The progression is this. Listen to this. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle, the apostle and high priest of our confession. What does he mean? Jesus is an apostle? Yes. Jesus is the father's apostle. He sent his son into the world to rescue you. This is mind-blowing. That the Father, I mean, think of this, take this personally. The Father would send his Son into the world to get you? Are you kidding me? The Father would send his Son into the world 
to get you, redeem you, and to bring you into the family. Isn't that amazing? And so Jesus, the Son of God, is an apostle from the Father. And then Jesus sends his followers into the world. Matthew 10, 16 says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Or in, or in John 13, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me. Whoever I send? Are you a, are you a Christian? Are you a believer? You mean, you mean he's saying whoever receives you receives Christ? That's what he says. He who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me, the Father. Jesus said to Saul on the road to Damascus, remember? Saul, why are you persecuting me? And, and Paul asks a good question. Saul asks a good question. Who are you? Who am I persecuting? He's persecuting Christians, not Jesus. Jesus had already died on the cross. And as far as Saul was concerned, this is Paul before his conversion, he's gone, dead and gone. And yet this person who meets him on the road to Damascus says, why are you persecuting me? Because you're persecuting the people that I sent. See, this is very, very personal to Jesus Christ. Your identification with him, he takes it very seriously. He takes it a lot more seriously than you do, that you've been identified with him. He sent you into the world. And you may think, I know a lot of people think this way. It's like, well, he hasn't sent me. I one time wished that he would send me. I was thinking maybe he would send me to, you know, Florida, Hawaii. And he didn't. Well, guess what? Wherever you are, that's where he has sent you. Now, he can change that. He may send you somewhere else next week. But he has sent you where you are. And I know that maybe you're not even noticing, but the people to whom he has sent you need exactly what he has told you to give them. They need the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you were sent there to live before them and to communicate the truth of that. So this, is, this has been the process. The Father sent the Son, and then the Son sends his disciples, including us, into the world. Just like the Father sent the Son into the world to redeem us, Jesus sends us into the world to take the message of salvation to others. And then get this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 17 through 20 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that's all believers. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You know what reconciliation is. Reconciliation is what you try to do when two people are at war with each other. You know what I mean? You've got friends, maybe you've got some um, friends that are married, but they're having some real difficulties, and so you're trying to help them be reconciled, to remove the offense that's driven them apart. And he says, we have received the message, the word of reconciliation. And then Paul says this, therefore we are, all of us, who have received the, the message of reconciliation, we are ambassadors for Christ. 
As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now, I was looking at the lexicon. Lo and Nita is a, a, a lexicon that Wycliffe uses, of their, their translators use, and this is what it says about this expression. We are ambassadors of Christ. It says, this could be translated this way. We serve as those who have been delegated by Christ, or our work has been specially assigned by Christ. See, a lot of times what we think is, we think the only ones who ever sent were the apostles. No, you've been sent. We are a sent people. And wherever we are, that's where he has sent us. Now, he may burden you for another place. He may burden you to go somewhere else. That's fine. But the fact is, you should never stop understanding and believing that he has sent you into this world. He has sent us. We are a missional people. In other words, we're on mission. We're here because he has, he has given this assignment that we are to live before people in this world as agents of Jesus Christ, ambassadors for Jesus Christ. And he says here, we are ambassadors because he's committed the message of reconciliation to us. Where in the world are people going to hear the gospel? Guess what? Wherever you are, that's where. It's great. You can bring them to church and let somebody, you know, get up here and tell them what the gospel is. But what's better is that you, who have the connection, are to communicate to them by your life and by your lips the truth of the gospel. That's his, that is his plan. That's the way God did it. Now, you go back and you look at these apostles and you actually do a little investigation. You see, they're just kind of like you. I told you about this guy, a pastor in town, who told me that when he was a kid, he knew he wasn't a Christian. He could never be a Christian because Christians are good people and I'm not a good person. And then somebody made him start reading the Bible and he said, I discovered that Christians aren't good people. I mean, they're people who are bad people who God saved and he is transforming us. But we would all have to admit the work isn't done yet, is it? And yet he sends you in the, he sends you out with this glorious message. He puts you on mission before you have been completely transformed in the image of Christ. How do I know that? Well, that's what the Bible says. It hasn't yet appeared what you shall be, but when you see him, you'll be like him because you see him as he is. Sometimes we can spend, we, we glorify our weaknesses and our sinfulness more than we glorify the work of Christ. We're more impressed about how bad we are than we are impressed about what Christ has done and how he wants to use us as instruments in his hands. Isn't that something that he wants to use you? And this isn't, I'm not appealing to you to, to dedicate your life to serving him. I'm telling you, if you're a Christian, it doesn't matter what you think. The fact is you are an agent of Jesus Christ. You're an ambassador of Christ. And the reason he keeps bringing people into your life is so that you can fulfill your calling what you've been called to do. Now, let me give you some more good news. The second part of this text, verses 17 through 19, is about Christ manifesting his power to heal and deliver. Let me read it again. Verse 17, 18, and 19, it says, Jesus came down with him and stood on a level place, and there was a large crowd of his disciples and a great throng of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon. This is a huge crowd made up of both disciples and 
and people who not, are not disciples of Christ. And he says, they had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled or afflicted with unclean spirits were being cured. And all the people were trying to touch him. Uh, Stop and think about this for a second. If you were in the presence of Christ and you saw Christ doing what he does in these accounts in the New Testament, you remember the woman who had the issue of blood and she touched the hem of his garment and she was instantaneously healed? I hope you wouldn't go to her and say, you know what, you're really messed up. Your theology is a mess. You actually are believing in magic. Now, this isn't magic. This is the power of God emanating from the Son of God. They were trying to touch him, for power was coming from him and healing them all. That's the difference between Jesus and all who profess to be healers. Jesus had no shortage of power. He's the eternal Son of God. And he has the power to heal. But guess what? The good news is this, that we have access to this king who heals and delivers as disciples of Jesus Christ. You're ambassadors of Christ, and therefore you have access to Jesus. You can actually ask him to meet people's needs. Now, this, one of the things we don't, I think we miss in this whole issue is we forget that the reason he's given us this glorious, glorious access to Christ. The book of Hebrews says we have freedom, we have free access, that is we can go into the presence of God anytime, and we have freedom of speech. We can speak from our heart. You know how it is, there's certain people you enjoy them, but you can't be honest with them because you don't want them to know certain things about you. But with, with Jesus, I have freedom of speech. I can be totally and completely transparent with him. And as an, as an ambassador of Christ, as I'm going, in this, I'm going down this path, I have access to Jesus. I love it in, um, if you've ever heard uh, Francis Chan talk about this, if you've ever listened to him, he talks about, you know, they're in the Tenderloin. That's where his, the center of their ministry is in the Tenderloin. And what they're doing is planting micro churches. Micro because they're churches that meet in apartments in the Tenderloin. What the, their goal is, is to plant a church on every floor of every apartment in the Tenderloin. Those are the kind of people you want, right? And this is, this is what he does. This is what he trains his people to do. They go door to door, knock on the door, introduce themselves. And in introducing themselves, they let them know that they, who they are and how they are related to Jesus. You ever thought about doing that? You know, instead of saying, yeah, I'm so-and-so's cousin, what if you said, I'm one of Jesus' disciples? And that's what they do. And then they say this. We're, we just wanted to introduce ourselves. And is there anything we can pray for for you? Do you have any need right now I could pray for for you? Why would he do such a thing? And if you listen to him talk, he'll drive you crazy because he talks as though God hears him and answers his prayers. And that's exactly what the Bible teaches Listen to this. This is Hebrews chapter 4. Therefore, since we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. 
For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Now, there are probably people who can't sympathize with your weaknesses. You know what I mean? There are a lot of people, you start telling them all your weaknesses, they don't even want to hear it. And, and I'm talking about myself. But he says he can sympathize with our weaknesses because he took on our humanity. Remember, he lived as a man. He got hungry and tired and like you do. He says, but we have one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us, let us draw near. That's free access. That word means I can freely go into the presence of God anytime. I can go and talk to Jesus at any time under any circumstances. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence. The word confidence means freedom of speech. So I, can, I have this free access. I can go anytime into his presence, and I have freedom of speech. I can tell him, now, let me just stop and think about this. You've been given this privilege he says, I go to the throne of, of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so somebody tells you, I, in fact, I remember Chan one time related this. He said, he knocked on the door, introduced himself, was talking to the guy, is there anything I can pray for you? You have any needs? He goes, well, my dog's sick. And he was making fun of him. He said, really, what's your dog's name? He told him his dog's name, and he said, okay, let me pray. Sounds stupid, doesn't it? But guess what? We have access to the throne of grace. We have access and we have freedom of speech. We can approach the Father and he hears us. Now, I, I don't know if you've ever thought about this passage. This is John 14 that you heard part of it today. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these. Wait a minute. You're going to do greater works than Jesus? There's got to be some explanation. I'm sure if I, I read a couple of theology books, I could find an explanation for this. It would make sense. It couldn't mean this, could it? They will do even greater things than these. Why? Because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name. Now, that doesn't just mean saying in the name of Jesus, obviously. It means that you approach him because he's the only one who can meet this need, and you're appealing to him to meet this need. As you are living as an ambassador of Jesus Christ. Somebody, I forget who it was, somebody used to call prayer like a, it was like a walkie-talkie. It was only necessary if you were in warfare. If you're on the front lines, you're actually living as, an, as a sent one of Jesus Christ, and you need help in a given situation, guess what? You have prayer. You can talk to Jesus. You can talk to the head of the church. We can do greater works because as the sent people of the risen, reigning Christ, we have free access and freedom of speech to ask whatever we desire. I, uh, I read a statement the other guy. A guy said that he couldn't get over how much what God has done in answering prayer over the years. And he said, some people tell him it's just a coincidence. 
And he said, you know what I find out? I have found out that if I pray, I see all kinds of coincidences. And if I don't pray, I don't see any of those coincidences. Isn't that amazing? You know, the, remember the, one of the first scenes in the book of Acts in chapter 3, <clears throat> Peter and James go to the temple, time of prayer. As they're going into the temple, there's a man there that somebody's brought, his family's brought him and put him off, and he, he's crippled, and he sits there, and he begs for alms, begs for money to help him. And people are going in to pray before God, so they feel kind of more open-hearted, so they give him money. Well, then Peter and James come walking by, and they look at him, and they see them there, and Peter says, look at me, look at us. And so he looks at them thinking they're going to give him an offering. And Peter says, silver and gold have I none, but from what I have I give to you. Stand up and walk. And he did. He did. He stood up and he, not only did he walk, he jumped around and danced and was telling everybody in the place what had happened to him. It's an amazing story. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, walk. Now, you're probably thinking, is he saying that we can heal people? No, I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying you can ask God to heal. You can ask God to move mountains. That's what Jesus said, right? Now, I don't know why you'd want to move a mountain, but if there ever is a need for that, as you do the work of Jesus Christ as a sent one of Christ... See, I think one of the things that happens with believers is we're so afraid we're going to be put on the spot and we won't be able to, we won't have an answer for their questions. Well, guess what? Jesus Christ is seated at the, at the right hand of God and you have free access to him. So if they ask you a question, you don't know the answer. You can say, let me ask Jesus and I'll get back to you on that. <laughs> now, it's fine if you want to use a concordance too. That's good. But the point is, is that we have a Savior who has sent us on mission and he's promised to empower us to do what he's called us to do. In fact, I want you to turn to John 15 for a second. John 15. I want to just read the first few verses of John 15. Jesus said, I am the vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it will bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, rest in me, believe in me, and I in you. You abide in me and I'll abide in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. That means resting in him completely. He goes on, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him he bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned, and the words are worthless. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. Now, notice the conditions here. If you're abiding in Christ, you're trusting him. And his words are abiding in you. You're actually learning how to obey his commands. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. 
What's he talking about? He's talking about if you're on mission and you're actually pursuing obedience to Christ in your life to do the work of taking the gospel to the world, of living Christ before people, he says, you can ask whatever you wish. If you're abiding in me, and even though you're, you're having to overcome your fears and your resistance, if you're abiding in me and my commands are abiding in you, ask whatever you wish. Now, obviously what he means is the things that you're going to wish in this condition, when, you are, when you're abiding in Christ and Christ's words are abiding in you, the things that you're going to ask for, he's going to gladly obey. I don't know if you've ever heard, uh, I think it was Bill Hybels, I can't remember exactly, but he was talking about God always answers prayer, but sometimes he says no, sometimes he says slow, sometimes, sometimes he says grow, in other words, you need to grow uh, more than you need this thing that you're asking for. And sometimes he says, go. And what he meant by that, sometimes he answers the prayer. And then like Elijah, when Elijah asked God to kill him, he was really grateful after that that God didn't answer that prayer. But Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this. My Father is glorified by this? My Father is glorified when you ask, abiding in me and my words abiding in you, and you ask and you receive, that glorifies the Father. That glorifies the Father. I don't know if you ever tell anybody when God answers your prayers, but this should be a common practice. When God answers prayer, for us to share that with people. God is faithful. And he says, by this, God will be glorified, the Father will be glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. In other words, your life manifests the fact you're truly a disciple of Jesus. Just as the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Abide in my love if you keep my commandments. Now, the way you abide in Jesus' love is you abide in his commandments. You know, you take a couple of loving parents and they have a little three-year-old learning to walk and they lovingly command him not to get out of the yard or climb over the fence. Why do they give him that command? Because they love him. Why has God given you the commands he's given you? Because he loves you. In fact, Paul describes it as the, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit communicates the will of Christ through his word to you in a way that you say, wow, thank you. Thank you for giving me that command. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus believed that what the Father commanded him to do was a manifestation of the love of the Father. Do you believe that about Jesus? That what he's commanded you to do in his word is a manifestation of his love for you? Well, if you don't, you should. You should repent of that and then believe the truth. It's because of his love for you. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. So here we are on mission. He has sent us. And the person who's abiding in Christ and Christ's words are abiding in him on mission has this privilege to ask whatever he knows his Savior can do. He's on mission as an agent of Jesus Christ, the high king of heaven. And so you can ask him with confidence that he's able to keep his word to you. This isn't fr frivolity. This isn't like, oh, man, God, I want, a, I want a new motorcycle. 
Why? That's when he says no, because I don't need a motorcycle. Um, so we're a sent people. And I just want to drive this home. You, you may ask, well, where have I been sent? You've been sent wherever you are. You are. Wherever you are. If you're a student in school, if you're working on a job 100 miles from here or 10 miles from here, that's where he has sent you. The people that you see every day are the people to whom he has sent you. And if you don't believe that, then you don't believe the Bible. The Bible says that God's in control. The Bible says that God's sovereign, and so he directs your paths. And he has put you where he wants you to, be, to bear witness of Christ if you're a follower of Jesus. So we are a sin people, and we have this access to live in Christ so that we can carry out this mission of being ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We have someone who can answer prayer. We have someone who knows exactly how we can fulfill his commands in a given situation. And he's able to give us exactly what we need. Let me pray for us. Our Father, we thank you so much for your grace towards us. We thank you for your grace and the grace and glory of Jesus Christ. That everything we see about him as we read these inspired accounts of his life, we can see in him such glory and such grace being manifested. And we want to experience this. We want to experience it in our daily life. We want to experience it in our family, on our job, in our just coming and going and all of life. We want to be aware. We want you to wake us up and open our eyes to the truth that we are a people sent on mission and that we are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you would do that, that we would stop looking at ourselves and our incapacities and look at the Savior who died for us and who is seated at the, your right hand. He is the great high priest who's touched with the feelings of our infirmity. And he can empower us and enable us to fulfill his glorious commission as his people. So I pray for us, for Calvary Community Church and everyone who here that knows Christ, I pray for us, Father, that this week we would live on mission consciously, aware of the fact that you are you have sent us and you will enable us and you will empower us we can depend upon you the way jesus depended upon you when you sent him into the world so father we pray that you would cause the glory of christ to sink deep into our hearts and it would motivate us to walk in obedience and in a manner that pleases the lord in every respect we pray in jesus name Amen. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.